0: Hello, and welcome to What's Next, a podcast exploring the technology of tomorrow and what it means for us today. I'm your host, Ryan Lawler. In the age of Uber, Lyft, and soon driverless cars, our guest today spends his time figuring out how to move people more efficiently on buses and trains. Johnny Simpkin is the founder of Swiftly, a platform now used by more than 45 cities to help improve their public transit. Johnny, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. To start, tell us a little bit about what Swiftly is and, and what you do.
1: Yeah, um, so we are a big data platform for transportation, um, primarily focused on public transit today. And what we realized is public transit's essential to moving people in cities efficiently. But a lot of the software and tools that they have available um, are decades old. And um, transit agencies do a lot of their analysis using Excel spreadsheets. And what that leads to is if you're in a major city, um, you can load about one day of data or less, and then Excel crashes. Um, So what we've done is we've built a new system, um, completely modern infrastructure that takes large, very large data sets from cities, and we analyze them to find areas where you can improve operational efficiency, um, improve the schedule efficiency, Um, looking at uh, ways that we can find out which corridors or intersections are causing issues in the city so that you can fix them, really with the ultimate goal of improving the passenger experience uh, and also getting people from A to B faster. Okay, so tell me about the founding story. Like, why are you interested
0: in in pursuing making public transit more efficient? Uh, So
1: my story is definitely different from my co-founders, but I never rode public transit growing up. Um, I was born and raised in San Diego, uh, so Southern California. I drove everywhere, and I was always extremely frustrated with traffic and congestion. Uh, And the question I would always ask is, why don't you just add another lane to the freeway or to the road? Because uh, then you can have more cars and the system should work better. And what I realized when I was doing research on the subject is adding more lanes typically just induces more traffic, um, and it's not a sustainable way of solving the problem. And in 2012, I sold my first company, I moved up to San Francisco, and that was the first time I realized that owning a car was more of a burden than a sense of freedom. Um, So I sold my car, I noticed that most of my friends were selling their car, and I started relying entirely on public transit and all of the new forms of mobility that you see around you. Um, And I fell in love with that way of life and realized that public transit could be much more efficient and devoted, uh, well, the last four years and hopefully several more years to come to now um, seeing that vision and and making it a reality.
0: Okay. So how did you even begin to understand this problem that cities face in making their public transit more efficient?
1: Yeah, it all started with my personal experiences. So um, when I was taking transit, there's the schedule and at first i was relying on the schedule because google maps only had the schedule data so it would say hey be at the stop at noon or whatever time i was supposed to be there i was at the stop at that time and then the bus or train just wasn't there so i was like okay this is not a good experience um then I started using some real-time information um, from the electronic signs and in some of the apps that were being displayed in the city. And it would say, oh, based on real-time information, be at the stop in five minutes. And then I'd be at the stop in five minutes. And that was wrong. And it was really frustrating as a a passenger. So our first instinct on solving the problem was really from the passenger side, which was just make transit easier to use. Um, So we worked on building a new mobile app and a prediction engine that took all the historical location data from buses and trains and use that historical data to predict in real time when the next bus or train would arrive and to do so more accurately than existing systems. And that was really impactful and in just a couple months we got uh, about 10% of the city of San Francisco using our mobile app. Um, But what we realized with that approach is even though it was really helpful for us as transit riders it wasn't necessarily um, a business in and of itself. And uh, it was really tough to scale. And when we were talking with a lot of cities, what we realized was that they all, even though each city is very unique, they all had very similar problems around making the schedule more accurate, which is really important because that dictates their budget, how many drivers they need, how many vehicles they need, um, making their streets uh, better support transit. And so we decided to build a lot of internal tools using all the data that we're collecting so that... We won't just tell passengers, sorry, it's running five minutes late. Why don't we work directly with the city to prevent that late issue from occurring in the first place?
0: Okay, so you're actually working with the transit agencies. How many cities are you working in?
1: Uh, so we currently have contracts with almost 50 transit agencies, primarily in the U.S. Um, we work with agencies of all sizes. So our largest is Chicago Transit Authority. We work with Boston MBTA. Miami-Dade. We're doing a very large deployment right now in Baltimore. Um, And our smallest agency has two vehicles. So um, two buses all the way to over 2,000 vehicles. Um and the goal is really to make the system um, agnostic to the size of the agency, to the geographic location of, of the city. So we want it to be something that can be deployed anywhere in the world. Well, so what's the what's the hang up there
0: for cities or transit agencies? What are the problems that they're facing in being able to recognize that these lines are running late on a consistent basis and to, you know, prevent that or make routes more efficient?
1: Yeah. I would say that the most common problem statement we hear is we already produce a tremendous amount of data. We just don't know how to use it efficiently. And so cities oftentimes have systems in place. They typically have GPS or other form of tracking units in their vehicles. But what they do with all this data, when you start looking at it over days or weeks or months or years, um, tends to be pretty limited because they don't have the tools to really dig into the data. And so that's really where we found the biggest problem is, is how do we take really hundreds of millions of GPS coordinates gathered potentially per week in a city and turn a raw GPS coordinate, which is, you know, latitude and longitudes not going to tell you anything to focus on this intersection because this one's causing the problem. Take us back. How were these transit agencies operating beforehand?
0: Like, how would they plot out the routes from one place to another or determine that a certain line should run down one street versus another?
1: Yeah. Almost all the major processes have been very manual in the industry. So when it comes to route planning, they'll take static census data, demographic data, um, and try to plot out routes that seem like they will be a good match for the general population characteristics in a given area or city. Um, And then once you've implemented uh, a transit network it's really tough to measure how well is it working um and so one of the things that you probably hear all the time in in with a lot of the tech companies that you work with is iteration time so really quick testing you have a hypothesis you test it you roll out a new feature or change the color of a button and within a couple days or a couple hours you have a sense as to whether or not that worked and you either build off that or revert it revert it right um that iteration process doesn't really exist in transit because of how long it takes Um, so for example you implement a new route um, you want to know you said oh let's say it takes 60 minutes to get from point A to point B so we'll schedule based on that 60 minutes we're going to add 10 vehicles so vehicles are going to arrive approximately every 6 minutes Um, but if it doesn't actually take 60 minutes then the whole characteristics of that route have changed the whole cost structure, the number of vehicles you need have all changed. What if it only takes 50 minutes, right? Then you can potentially shave a whole vehicle and still provide the same level of service. So what agencies do today often is they will send someone with a stopwatch to ride the bus and ride that same route a couple times and say, okay, well, we rode it five times. We think it actually is closer to you know 55 minutes. But actually, if you look at months and thousands of trips, um, that assumption that you got from riding the bus five times may not be correct, and so that's really where Swiftly comes in is looking at very large data sets to figure out how we should schedule more efficiently or change routes.
0: We've been talking very sort of big picture, but let's actually talk about the business. Um, tell me about what it's like for you to engage with customers, what those conversations typically look like with a first meeting, and really like how do you sell? These transit agencies that they need your product.
1: Yeah. The sales side of this whole business and just selling to government in general was something a lot of people warned me about and that I was really nervous about um, in the beginning. And, you know, there are some challenges, obviously, with selling to government. You're dealing with long and challenging procurement cycles. Um, but I found it to be, in some ways, extremely refreshing. In these first meetings with transit agencies, it's really clear that they, the people genuinely care about their city and their residents. And you don't see that a lot in the private sector. Mostly people are just focused on, how am I going to make that next buck? Um, but in the, the public sector, uh, they're often really focused on, how can I do what's best for my city? And so when we sit down, and, and typically the way that we sell the product is we go in with their actual data in our platform. And we say, let's sit down and tell Like, tell us what are your current priorities and how can we just work with you on those priorities over the course of the next hour or the next two days if it's an on-site workshop and um, go over your actual data in our platform and see what that might be like. And it's through that that there's this aha moment where they're like, wow. Like we've got to work together because this is going to be really good for our city and we can do more changes faster and we can iterate faster. And that was actually, believe it or not, a direct quote from we were doing an on-site training and they said, you've done more in the last 51 minutes than we have in the last two years. And so that's the typical way we sell, which is focusing on enabling them to be more effective. And I think that if we focus on making our customers successful, we'll be successful too. Let's talk about the types of data that you're collecting. You mentioned
0: GPS and sort of real-time data for where different buses or other transit operations are at, at any given time. Um, what else are you looking at? There's
1: only t- there are actually only two inputs to our system. The first is just the schedule, so where are stops located, route paths, uh, what times are vehicles supposed to be there, and then we take the live GPS data, which typically is every you know ten to ten seconds to a minute we then take that raw data and we calculate all of these new data attributes on top of that. So correlating uh, or understanding vehicle speeds, understanding on-time performance. So how is the vehicle doing relative to the schedule at this moment in time? And is that a trend we've observed in the past or is that something that's brand new? So if you've ever been um, waiting for the bus and it says, oh, it arrives typically every 10 minutes, but then it takes 20 minutes for it to arrive, that's probably because two vehicles arrived at almost the same time. And then there's a 20-minute gap. Um, So we can do all of these types of analytics just based on GPS. And one of the things that we're now hearing from our cities is you've shown me a whole new way of looking at GPS data um, that can boil down to improving my operations, improving my efficiency, improving the passenger experience. What if we gave you all these new data sets? Can you do something similar with them? And so now we're looking at um, new data sets around understanding Uh, in large part, the movement of people in a city. So how many people are getting on and off vehicles at certain stops, what time of day, and how do we try to build networks that better match supply and demand? Okay, and that
0: is from data of people getting onto the bus and paying, or how are you getting that information?
1: A lot of different ways. The two most common are fare data. So when you pay a fare, there's um, a record of that. And then the other is what are called automatic passenger counters. So um, most fleets, at least a percentage of them, have APCs, which are laser beams that are tracking on and off counts. So you can have a sense as to how many people got on or off at a given stop and uh, how many people are in the vehicle at any given moment in time. Right.
0: One of the one of the great quotes, I think, in startup land, I think I saw it first with Alex Rampell uh, at entries and Horowitz, says the battle between every startup and incumbent comes down to whether the startup gets distribution before the incumbent gets innovation. And I think, you know, this is so true in urban mobility and urban transit, because over the last, you know, five to 10 years, we've seen, you know, a real change with the ride hailing apps and uh, everything else that's showing up in the cities. So I'm I'm curious how you think about that. And, you know, if you have a bunch of private enterprises that are just out innovating or moving so much faster than public agencies
1: are able to, what does that mean for the future of public transit? Yeah, very interesting question. Transit agencies are dealing with Arguably, one of the most evolving transportation landscapes in the history of, of mankind. So, you have autonomous vehicles, you have um, all of these new modes, whether it's ride hailing or bike share or car share or now scooter shares all over San Francisco and, and many of the major cities. And so, how does public transit fit into this? Um, and I'm a firm believer that public transit has a very strong place. Um, in both the, the mobility options of today and in the future. And I think if you look at just general population sizes, you need mass transit to be successful and to be able to move people without congestion. But undeniably, public transit has to adapt. I think uh, a large part of that has to do with making decisions based on data, not gut, um, making um, policies also based on data and not gut, And I think most of the cities we talk to are moving in that direction very quickly. Um, And it's really encouraging to see that. Um, But the other thing I would say is, even though private companies, and you think Uber or all the car share providers or scooter share, bike share, they're evolving really quickly. But they offer a very different product than public transit. And I would argue you often don't want public transit to adapt so quickly that it's no longer safe and reliable and affordable. So there's this right balance that I think public transit needs. And I would say the industry itself is trying to find that balance. But I do see a really strong future for public transit because let's look at the numbers, for example. So 5 billion people in urban areas by 2030. Um, You can have 100 million Ubers on the streets, but it's still if you have one person per car, you know, the numbers don't make sense. And if you just look at the width of our streets today, the infrastructure is also limited. So you can't just change street width. So um, I think where public transit has a really unique place uh, is getting to move very large volumes of people very quickly and efficiently. And a lot of that comes down to having access to streets in a way that private mobility options don't have access
0: so we've been talking a lot about these short-term direct effects of of using data to make transit more effective and more efficient, but can you talk a little bit more about some of the second- or third-order effects that come from better transit within cities?
1: So the current estimate is 2 to 3% of GDP is lost by wasted time and congestion. So I'm not going to claim we're saving the U.S. 2 to 3% of GDP, but... When you think about it that way that, holy crap, like hundreds of billions of dollars are lost by people just sitting in their car doing nothing. Um, they're not at, at work. They're not producing uh, whatever they do at work. They're not out spending money with their friends. They're just in the car doing nothing. If we can make transit more effective and we can reduce congestion that's a massive impact on just the economic productivity of the country, or any country that we deploy our services in. There's also the environmental impact. So cars produce about a fifth of greenhouse gases in the US. So um, there's a huge impact where if we can get people out of their cars and taking mass transit, uh, we can improve the environment. And then there's the quality of life, which isn't necessarily as quantitative, but I can tell you, qualitatively speaking having moved to san francisco selling my car and being able to walk and take transit everywhere i'm a much happier person and i don't complain or swear when i'm in traffic anymore so i think three huge longer-term benefits that are important to keep in mind um what's one controversial opinion that you have that's really strongly held i i don't know if this is controversial but this is something i've been thinking a lot about recently um it's very cliche but Uh, I remember, I think it was probably middle school, I heard the Gandhi quote, you must be the change you wish to see in the world. And that's something I've spent a lot of time trying to be. Um, And what I've realized recently is that I now think about it as you must enable others to be the change you wish to see in the world. Um, And that is, if I am focusing my time and my effort trying to accomplish my agenda... Um, I'm not nearly as powerful as if I empower others to do that. And as I've been hiring new people to join my team, i realized if we're going to be successful as a team and if the vision's going to be successful, um, it can't just be me. It just can't be one other person. It has to be a team of people. Um, and so now I spend a lot of my time thinking about how I can enable others to be successful.
0: Let's, let's pull that thread a little bit because I, I think that in startup world... There's this credo of asking for forgiveness, not permission, but by the nature of you know the types of agencies you work with,
1: you can't really operate that way, right? Well, interestingly enough, so I was in Austin two days ago, meeting with some customers there. And what was really interesting is that, that what you just described, I think, is changing. And I was talking with one of the executives at one of the transit agencies we work with, and he said... Up until now, the agency's been risk averse. We've been, oh, we're not gonna change anything because if we do, there's a risk of getting in trouble. If we don't, we're for sure not gonna get in trouble. Um, and he said, in order for us to be successful moving forward, we have to take those risks. And in order for those risks to be successful, they have to be based on data or some real world information. And then we started you know, going down that path. And then last night, uh, another one of our you know, top 15 city in the U.S., I was meeting with the assistant director there, and he said the exact same thing that I had just heard in Austin two days ago. Um, a lot of people do think that way, and I think it's totally changing now, and it's very exciting. It's changing from the public agency perspective. From the public agency perspective, yes. From the management in the public agency. And now it's starting to permeate to their staff as well. Okay. So if you weren't doing this... What uh, areas of
0: technology would you find most interesting or do you think that uh, you'd like to work on?
1: Um, I actually love the transportation space. I can see myself staying in it for a long time, whether that's through AVs or obviously um, the impact of AVs on public transit. I think there's just so much change that it's really interesting and and it touches everyone. Healthcare, uh, not glamorous, but really high impact energy. Again, not glamorous, but really high impact. So I tend to gravitate to the less glamorous, high impact um, uh, types of industries.
0: When you talk about AVs and autonomous vehicles, I find you know, it really interesting what impact they're going to have over the way that uh, we get around, not just in cities, but really anywhere. And I'm wondering if you have a thesis or an idea on how they're going to change, the way that we think about transportation, the way that we think about car ownership, the way that we think about
1: um, even where people live. Yeah, I think AVs will change society a tremendous amount, and that's an understatement. You touch on car ownership, some people will probably want to own a car, um, but it really doesn't make sense when that asset is idle 95% of the times. um, And I don't see myself owning a car again, I mean, I guess it depends, but probably I I won't own a car again. I do think the one thing that AVs can't necessarily touch is density of restaurants and things around you. So, um, AVs might make it more accessible to live out of the city. You can work while you're driving, but, uh, at the end of the day, if you want to just get out of your house or apartment and walk to a hundred bars or a hundred restaurants or a hundred things to do in the city, you need that density. So, um, I do think, you know, AVs won't necessarily adjust that. Transportation is the fabric to the people and places around you, and if transportation is going through a huge evolution, um so will everything else.
0: I like to think of also how it will change our cities. You know, I think about San Francisco in particular, and I know that the city has changed a lot, uh, even since the earthquake, when, you know, they took down the highway along the Embarcadero yeah. and and through Hayes Valley or whatever. And I think how different would the city be if we didn't have that overpass running down 13th street or Dubose or whatever it is, yeah. you know, how much of the city could be reclaimed if we had smart vehicles that didn't have to bunch up onto this freeway.
1: Oh uh, yeah. I think about that all the time. Or what about, um, parking lots, parking structures? Like how much real estate is being wasted by cars just sitting in there doing nothing. Um, the boom that it's going to have on retail, and real estate values is going to be tremendous because now that parking lot could be an apartment building and maybe rent will go down a little bit in the city or at least you'll have another restaurant or bar or thing to do around you so yeah you you, you think about transportation again being this fabric of the people and places around you and as that changes everything else will too and so the, the places around us will definitely change
0: So talk me through the big vision. What happens when every city is using Swiftly? How does it change the way we get around? How does it change, you know, what those cities look like?
1: Our mission is really to make cities move. Uh, It's just three words, make cities move. And um, that has efficiency tied into it, reliability tied into it, um, time savings, productivity increases. Uh, So I think if Swiftly were deployed in a really deep way, um, you'll start to see transportation networks evolve to meet the needs of the residents and the visitors, not the other way around where residents and visitors have to try and uh, follow what is already set in in stone.
0: All right, well, this was great. Johnny, thanks again for joining us um, and telling us more about Swiftly. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. That was really fun. Thanks again for listening to What's Next. We'll be releasing new episodes every other week, all summer long. So be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Just search for What's Next on your app of choice or go to samsungnext.com podcast. Next time, we'll talk with Aristotle Socrates. You heard that right. He'll tell us how his company, Juvo, uses data science to help give millions of people around the world access to financial services. I'm your host, Ryan Lawler. This episode of What's Next was produced by Rachel King and Janaki Mehta, with Claire Mullen as sound engineer for Pod People. Samsung Next is always looking for new and exciting companies to team up with. So if we should know about you, please get in touch. We're on Twitter at Samsung Next, or you can reach us by email at podcast at Until next time.